0: Fast and Powerful Relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed.
1: Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the role of the dice. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it ah. eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts.
0: Spanning the nerd world and feeding your fandom. Crash landed. From comics to video games. From the cinematic universe
1: to television. This is
0: Earth. The biggest stars in the industry.
1: Something out there had discovered
0: us. It's time for the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Here's your host, James Witham. Kind of wishing we had mutant powers to push away Hurricane Florence. It's episode 231 of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. I'm James Witham. One of the reasons that I bring up Hurricane Florence is that we here at the Down and Nerdy Podcast studios are in the path of Hurricane Florence, actually feeling some effects. We've got watches and warnings and stuff going on in our area. Not going to affect this week's show necessarily, but the social media pages could be affected by that. Might not see as much stuff posted on social media, depending on the impacts to us Also, next week's show might be affected a little bit, but make sure you're keeping up to date down in nerdypodcast.com and on social media as I can update, I will let you know. But this week, as we get you ready for fall TV season, it's officially that time now. I mean, we've kind of been getting you ready for a while now, but really going to ramp things up now that we've hit mid-September. So a couple of things this week for this week in Geektainment. Going to go back to the red carpet when I was at San Diego Comic-Con. Got a chance to talk to some of the members of the cast of Van Helsing. So we'll go back there and really quickly catch up with them. See what they thought about the fan reaction to the new trailer and everything. And the new season that's going to be coming up in a couple of weeks. And then this week we're also talking to the cast of The Gifted on Fox love the gifted season one was so amazing so we're going to talk to a whole bunch of the cast and get their impressions and what they think is going to happen coming up for season two you know just because i'm getting ready for fall tv doesn't mean i'm forgetting about comics what we're reading is next on the down and nerdy podcast
1: this is philip kennedy johnson you're listening to the down and nerdy podcast
0: it's a great feeling when you drag out the long boxes it? even when you fire up the tablet and the laptop, whatever you're reading on, it doesn't matter. It's time for what we're reading and going to start out with a book. You know that when it came out, I was going to review after I got a chance to talk to Philip Kennedy Johnson at San Diego Comic-Con. It's finally time for my review of *Low Road West from Boom Studios, his new book. Also, the art by Flaviano, Miguel Muerto on the colors, and then Jim Campbell on the letters. Now, this... Kind of follows a group of kids who are refugees, and they're on a bus to San Francisco, and that's supposed to be like their new life. They're traveling on the new road, the low road west to their new life. Everything's going to be great now, and even though the U.S. is kind of at war with its allies, the country's either a war zone or a wasteland, depending on where you you go. Things are kind of a mess now. I want to run down the names of the kids. You have Angela, who's kind of. The skittish one that's how i describe her and then you've got emma and ben who are siblings i'll get back to ben in just a minute and she's kind of very protective of her brother and it looks like maybe for a reason you also have sean who kind of acts tough but you kind of feel like there's more to it there and then amir who sort of almost starts off as the de facto leader of the group but he's also very standoffish so it's kind of an interesting back and forth with his character now I have to say these kids and Philip Kennedy Johnson touched on this with me when I talked to him. These kids don't really like each other very much or, you know, it just seems like there's a very unstable dynamic between them. But at the same time, it seemed very age appropriate in the way that they were treating each other and the way that they were acting as well. Seemed very, very appropriate for young teenagers, what I would call most of them, I think, in the book somewhere it said the oldest one seemed like they were 16. At least that's the impression I got. I'm sure that we'll find out what their, what their ages are as we progress a little bit. But I mean, didn't take them long to kind of find themselves in a real jam. And he was, and Philip Kennedy Johnson was right. There's a game changer right in the beginning of this book. Didn't take very long. And it was kind of subtle too. It, was, it just kind of showed up and you're like, well. All right, so that sucks, and that kind of changes everything. So, yeah, it didn't take very long. And speaking of Ben, we kind of see along the way as they they kind of get to a stopping point, there's something special about Ben. And we get a little bit of a hint of it towards the middle of the book, and then it's kind of not necessarily explained, but again, hinted to. So we don't know if it's something that's special about him or the area that they're in. That's one of the intriguing things about what's coming up in this series. Now, they, they do run into some trouble as they walk down the road. And then they find themselves in, maybe this is a little bit of a spoiler, so I'll do a minor spoiler alert here. They find themselves in a very mysterious house that they come across. Now, as they are exploring the inside of this, one of them finds something that sort of leads to our, I'll, I'll call it a cliffhanger ending because it's certainly trying to find out what it is that was found and what's about to happen in this very final page of the book. Now, there, no joke, I mean, we already knew this from the cover and some of the pages that we got to see early, but the art by Flaviano is absolutely fantastic. But also, you know, hats off to Mikhail Muerto, where the colors are really bringing this world to life, and it really makes it feel desolate. And, and not in a it's funny because it's not in a gray kind of way. It's in a everything looks scorched earth kind of way. And that and that's kind of alluded to in the book a little bit. So it really makes sense and it really gets brought to life. And you're thinking, you almost feel like you're there and, and you're like, this is a terrible place to be. And you've got these kids that are out in this and there's so many different things going on in this propaganda that's being thrown around as well. And again, I wanted to touch on the fact that the dialogue and the way the kids act towards each other seemed very true and age appropriate, which I thought was really, really great. It, it was this book seems so true to life in a scary way that if this were to actually happen, this is how I, I imagine it would be like, and and it's a scary thought. But at the same time, there is a supernatural element there, and it's very abrupt at first, and then this slow burn starts. After that, so you realize that this is happening, and then all of a sudden, after that, it's very slow and progressive, and it's kind of explained but not. And it's going to be a theme throughout the rest of these first five issues, I can tell. Now, you definitely feel the Stranger Things influence in this a little bit, but it is not like a carbon copy of Stranger Things at the same time, so don't get that impression. I also got a very House of Mystery vibe this as well, so bringing in elements of maybe DC's Justice League Dark and, you know, Constantine and, and Zatanna and stuff like that, I think that that's also part of this a little bit. Either way, this is a pull for me. I, I I just don't see myself not loving a Philip Kennedy Johnson book just based on... I mean, even before I get a chance to meet him, he's a great guy. Even before I get a chance to meet him, every book of his I picked up, I seem to love. This one is no different. Can't wait to find out what's going on. for the rest of the five issues of Low Road West. When I saw this book, when it was first announced, I knew that I had to talk about it on the show as well. It's Archie1941, number one from, of course, Archie Comics. You've got Brian Augustine and Mark Wade teaming up doing the writing, Peter Krause doing the line art, Kelly Fitzpatrick doing a wonderful job on the colors, and Jack Morelli on the letters. Now, this is Archie and the gang kind of dealing with the lead up to World War II. So it's exactly in the time period that it says in the title. Now, keep in mind that they're all close or at the age of enlistment at this point as well. Now, things kind of start out with a very nostalgic feel of the 40s. And, you know, it's it's very interesting, actually, because it's a reminder that there actually used to be newsreels before movies, not a thousand previews. They actually used to show newsreels and cartoons in some cases. So I just thought that was funny for anybody that's reading this book and that's not used to that or never got to see that when they were younger. It's almost like a, hey, there were, there was news at the beginning of movies. Yes, kids, there were at some point. And maybe you've seen that in a movie and that's the only reason that you know. Now, there was some uh, era appropriate dialogue there and there was plenty of art. Now, the dialogue did feel a bit forced at times, but it didn't really derail, derail the story for me because news of the war is really taking its toll on Archie and not really the rest of them though that's the funny thing and this is the summer after after their graduation it's supposed to be a happy time but Archie's just acting very very off to the point where if you're an Archie comics fan it's almost uncomfortable at times and you really feel for him and that's the main thing that I got out of this first issue of this book is you're just you know that this should be a happy and jubilant time in these teenagers lives But then you've got this volume turned down for Archie and you sort of get dragged in there with him. You're like, how do I fix him? What's going on? And that's very much a part of this book as well with his support system around them. Save one particular person. And I will not spoil that. But again, who this person is that isn't really supportive of him. And really pushes him is also very era appropriate, and that is a, that is another part of the era that I think this book got spot on, and I think is I, I don't want to see I don't want to see an underrated importance of this book, but that's the best way that I can think to word it because it's something that should be pointed out and and is a bigger deal than I think it seems on the surface. Now, you know, Archie's just really kind of. Trying to figure out what's going, what he's going to do with his life, and what's going on. And I want you to think back to that time in your life if you've if you've already been there. Maybe you're too young to to know this because you're not there yet. But think back to the time in your life when you were about, you know, eighteen. You just graduated high school. You know, trying to figure out what you want to do with your life, and imagine the time period that they're in, and how serious the world is. Around them, I know that you know there are there have been other times where the, where the world's been kind of serious, but I mean think about it for a second. You've got World War Two breaking out in front of you, and you were at enlistment age, and you're trying to find out what your future's going to be like. Wrap your wrap your mind around that for a second, and think about that compared to the world that is now. And yet, yeah, you might argue that the world is in a scary place now. But things are blowing up all over the place in Europe at this particular time period and you might get shipped over there. So that that's a very interesting dynamic when you're trying to figure out what you're going to be doing for the rest of your life. And the emotion of this book is so palpable, especially with Archie. And you see what's going on around him as well. And, you know, to me, it's, there are points where it was oblivious to the point of frustrating for some of these other characters that are in this book, but I think that was part of the point of the story. And that's why, again, this is a pull for me because of that point. It was like, man, this can be frustrating. Man, Archie's really bringing me down. But I think that's the point of the story. And there's also something going on with the Lodge family that I think we're not going to get until probably the next issue based on what the preview of the second issue was. We'll find out more about that. But I mean, I, I like the, n- the nostalgia and in the art I thought that was more spot on than the, than the nostalgic dialogue I thought with when the dialogue was quote unquote normal and it was in that Archie realm I thought it was fine it was when the the nostalgic stuff and the era appropriate stuff tried to get thrown in there that it just seemed a little bit off to me but this is a poll for me. I, I really am interested to see what the tone of the second issue is going to be based on this one, because I really did enjoy this book. Let's get it for what we're reading this week. Up next, going to go to the red carpet with some members of the cast of Van Helsing. And that's next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast.
1: Hi, I'm Cameron beacon Dova from Gotham on Fox, and you're listening to Down and Nerdy Podcast.
0: Fall TV is just around the corner, and really almost kind of here already, right? So this week in Geek Tim, we're going to be talking about season three of Van Helsing that's going to be back on Friday, October the 5th on Sci-Fi. when I was at the Den of Geek party at San Diego Comic-Con 2018. Ran into some of the cast members. As a matter of fact, John- Jonathan Scarf, who plays Axel Miller, Trezo Moharo, who plays Muhammad, and Chad Oaks, who's the executive producer. And I chatted with them about what it was like presenting that trailer at San Diego Comic-Con and what to expect from their characters in the upcoming season. So it's just me and the guys take a listen. they yeah, were having a blast at the Den of Geek Party. Look who we ran into. It's the folks from Van Housing. What's up, gentlemen? How's it going, man? Fantastic. How you doing? Good to be here. So you guys had your panel earlier on today. What was the excitement like from the fans there? It was huge.
2: It was jam packed in there. Standing room only. And again, passionate fans that want to come out and find out what's going to go on this year. So, so The only difficulty with the panel is having to shut it down early when there's two people out there wanting to engage and ask questions and everything, but it was a blast, man. We loved it.
0: What's it like when you know you've got new footage that you're getting ready to show for a a season, and what that fan reaction is going to be like? What is it like sitting on that knowing, oh, I know we got something for the con? Well, it's kind of exciting, and
2: you want to talk about it, and you want to push it and promote it. But you can't. It's, you know, we're we're spoilers from the first five minutes of our our third season right to the very last scene. So it's you just gotta smile and uh, just promise them, promise them, and don't let them down. It's gonna be fun.
0: Well, yeah, getting to show them that little teaser clip, you
2: know, it's, it feels it feels awfully good. A lot of work goes into that, so it's fun to do it.
0: Well, what episode are you guys on right now? Have you finished the season? Already?
1: Finished, on All thirteen are in the can.
0: For you guys already knowing what's happening with your characters in the season, how hard is that for you to keep that under wraps?
1: Um, it's actually very, very difficult. A lot of my friends are huge fans of that show, So it's always like, quote poke, poke, poke questions. They try to get back doors, asking questions. What's happening? What's happening? What's happening? But yeah, it, it, is, it, is, it is kind of hard to keep, to keep it a secret, but also because I don't know what's going to be cut out. Or that's true, that's true. I can't really say anything for sure either, so even me myself, I'm excited to see what's going to what, what's gonna come out. It's easy for me. I'm
2: old. I can't even remember what we did
0: three weeks ago. <laughs> I've got a four-year-old at home, so I can't remember yeah, anything.
1: I, I, <laughs> okay, I, so. I, I know everything, and I can't say shit to these guys, so <laughs> sorry.
0: Now, uh, okay, so let's do this. What can you tell me about your characters coming up this season?
1: Ah, uh, My character this season, he's a whole new, different breed. It. He's not—he's not, he's, he's basically not somebody to be effed with, really. And he's it, the writers did an amazing job writing him and uh, and, make, and making the story. So I'm very excited for you guys to see it. He's—he's a—he's a
2: monster, but in the best way possible.
0: All right, John, what do you got?
2: Love, pain, death, all of it. You get to see a lot of action past this year. Learn a little bit more about his past. You get to see more of his relationship with Scarlet, where that evolves and how that evolves. We definitely have a sense of getting the band back together a little bit early nice. on in the season, although it doesn't necessarily stay that way. But there's some good times to be had there, and um, and some heartache, yeah, sure.
0: Now, have they given us a release date? Do we have a premiere date yet? But we don't. We, we know it's in around September, October, and
2: they honestly, they, they were trying to get it to us before we hit the panel, but I was literally texting up there going, do you guys know? And they're sitting four rows down going, we, we, we don't. We thought it was this date, but it could be that date. So anyway, we'll uh, stay tuned.
0: We'll make that our job to keep the fans informed yes, on you. that. That's what we're going to do. Looking forward to Season 3 of Van Helsing. Gentlemen, thank you so much for taking Thanks. a few minutes. Here's one mystery solved. I can tell you that the release date is Friday, October the fifth. Like I mentioned on Sci Fi for season three's premiere of Van Helsing, and it feels like if you saw the trailer, the the fate of humanity really is at stake at this point. And when the trailer starts out with screaming upon screaming upon screaming, you know that you're in for something. And, and when Jonathan actually said that, you know we're in for some from some heartache and the band gets back together, but it doesn't necessarily last that long. I think some bodies are going to drop on this upcoming season of Van Helsing. I mean, you kind of get that impression from the Comic-Con trailer and the promo that was just released anyway. But yeah, I think that there's going to be a ton of surprises and what's going to be in store for the new Muhammad and Trezo's character, I think, it's going to be really amazing. And there's just some diehard Van Helsing fans that cannot wait For this show to be back, I I know I was seeing in some of the comments on YouTube how fans are saying it seems like it's been forever since season two ended. And then the good news came of the renewal. Sci-Fi was going to be bringing it back. So season three of Van Helsing going to be coming up. Curious to see what you guys think of Van Helsing and what you've seen so far. So tweet the show at Down Nerdy 757 and give me your impressions. That's going to do it for our interviews from the Van Helsing cast. Thank you so much for them for joining me at San Diego Comic-Con 2018 this past year. Up next, let's take care of some nerd news on the Down and Nerdy Podcast.
3: Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk turned traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world that ours is not a loving God. And we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Hi, I'm Court Lane, VP of Animation Development at
4: Marvel, and I'm listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast.
0: Looks like the Red Capes may no longer be coming. It's time for nerd news, so let's just get it out of the way right now. There's a report, or was a report from The Hollywood Reporter saying that Henry Cavill is out as Superman from Warner Brothers Films. Apparently this was a Warner Brothers decision according to the inside sources. Gotta love the inside sources, right? So here's what we know, or at least as of me recording this show on Thursday night. Here's what we know. Okay, so Henry's agent Danny Garcia says that, quote, the cape is still in the closet, unquote. Warner Brothers kind of issues their statement that I'm not going to read the whole thing. You've probably seen it. It didn't really confirm or deny the rumors just saying that, hey, they have a great relationship, yada, yada, yada. And then you have Henry Cavill's weird kind of non-confirming Instagram post. I think everybody seems to be having a little bit of fun with this at this point. Now, there was a report that w- that Warner Brothers kind of made this decision to now focus on Supergirl. Of course, they had that Supergirl movie. It was announced not too long ago, and that's the direction that they were going. Now it looked like they weren't they weren't going to be making another Superman solo movie for a while anyway, and apparently some talks broke down for a cameo in Shazam because of scheduling conflicts, and you know the whole fiasco, the whole Justice League thing, and you know having to digitally you know remove the mustache. So it just seems like there was some. I don't want to say bad blood, because I think that that's taking it too far. But it seemed like there might have been a little bit of animosity there, and apparently there was another scheduling conflict for this whole Shazam thing. It's like, okay, does this dude want to be Superman or not? But at the same time, he's got to work, right? I mean, I know you want somebody that's going to be fully committed to this, but if Henry Cavill wants to do other things, like Mission Impossible, or or even the Witcher series, which we talked about last week, you know, he should be able to do that, and, you know, he should be able to work that around the Warner Brothers schedule, especially if they're not going to be making another Superman movie for a while. I'm not sure I'd move mountains to do a cameo either. Now, none of this is even confirmed. There's even a report saying that the whole thing is fake and smoke and mirrors, maybe just to gauge reaction of how mad people would be if Henry Cavill was removed as Superman. Imagine that this story came out and nobody cared or everybody going, yay, he's finally out. Then, you know, maybe they would consider doing it. But now that there seems to be some backlash to this. Now maybe Warner Brothers is going, huh, I guess he's more popular as Superman than we thought it was. And I never th- really thought he did a bad job. I thought that there were things about his portrayal that weren't exactly spot on. And I didn't really think he had the hopeful nature that you needed to be Superman. But at the same time, we got to see that come out a little bit in Justice League, didn't we? It almost felt like, you know, like how my review of Iron Fist last week... I had said that, you know, it finally seems like Finn Jones has gotten comfortable as Danny Rand. It feels like he's finally coming to his own. I don't really feel like Henry Cavill's been given that opportunity. Yes, Man of Steel, and then Batman versus Superman, and then Justice League. But we're also talking about the difference between Joss Whedon and Zack Snyder. So there's a little bit of, you know, back and forth there. So maybe he's finally finding his stride. ...as his character, but it's hard to when you're not playing the character very often. So, I mean, I think he's been unfairly judged a little bit as Superman, but I don't want to see him go. I really don't. I know that there are other actors that could play Superman. I really don't want to see him go. I really... My gut tells me he's not going anywhere, and this was a ploy to kind of gauge how people would react if he were ousted as Superman. That doesn't mean they won't focus on Supergirl for a while, because I really don't think there were any plans for a Man of Steel 2 anytime soon, I think Warner Brothers has other ideas. And I do really think that Warner Brothers is going to start to shift to, "Let's, let's make an Aquaman movie and just let it be an Aquaman movie. Let's let Wonder Woman have her own series of movies. I really think they're going away from the connected universe now because they tried it, just didn't work for them. But this doesn't preclude them from doing a Justice League movie At some point, just because you give everybody their own thing doesn't mean you can't somehow find a way to bring them together because it's not like even in the comics all the lines connect anyway and you see characters come into other characters' books all the time and it doesn't necessarily mean that, quote-unquote, everything's connected like it is in Marvel. So I think you handcuff yourself less if you do that maybe they learn their lesson, albeit the hard way, but if they've learned their lesson, I think that's all that matters. We'll see what happens with this whole Henry Cavill thing. How about we do a little bit of trailer talk now? And I'm going to kind of go in order here as a few of these trailers came out. We have She-Ra and the Princesses of Power, Netflix, and DreamWorks TV finally give us a first look at that. And now we don't really get to see a whole lot, but we do get to see her transformation and getting her sort of power and things like that. I will say that the look is very similar to the animation style in Voltron, which shouldn't be surprising because it's from the same studio. But there was definitely an anime influence there. I definitely got a bit of a Sailor Moon vibe from what I was seeing, and that is by no means a bad thing. We do get to see a little bit of the voice acting showcase, though. It seemed very good, but again, there really wasn't much to go on. It was just, you know, her trying to figure out who she is, and will she answer the call? That's the whole kind of hook for the trailer. This was very much a showcase of how this series would look after those first-look photos came out, and fans weren't some fans weren't sure, This was a, hey, okay, you were wondering what it was going to look like. Here you go. I'm sure we're going to get more from this. I mean, we have until November the 16th. That's when the show actually premieres on Netflix. So we definitely have a little bit of time. But you have to go back to, look how good Voltron ended up being. You've got the same studio working on She-Ra. I think you've got to give DreamWorks a little bit of leeway here and think that they're going to be able to put something together that fans will enjoy. Because, remember, fans were excited about Voltron, and hesitant at the same time. Look how well that turned out. Seven seasons later, fans still love it. So, I'm really, really looking forward to this. I think it's about time that we've had a new she series. I also want to talk about the Marvel Rising Secret Warriors trailer. To, To me, Marvel Rising was almost like Marvel's answer to DC Superhero Girls, right? And, and now is kind of the, the time for it. With the, with Superhero Girls being in flux and kind of going through a change right now, it's almost like you couldn't have a perfect time, more perfect time for Marvel Rising. Now, this feels like Marvel finally letting, the, letting their young heroes take the center stage in this trailer. Now, they've presented as very green and kind of somewhat flawed, but it also gives you the feeling like the, the moral of the whole trailer was kind of the... You, you. It doesn't matter how old you are. You can accomplish anything no matter your age. And we get to see a lot of Miss Marvel. We get to see a lot of Squirrel Girl. As a matter of fact, Milana Ventrue as Squirrel Girl really, really stood out to me as fun. That That's a character that I could see really stealing the show. And you've got plenty of other characters as well. A young, diverse cast of characters. A young team. And the dynamic just felt very, very good. And there was definitely... A ton of action in this first trailer as well. A little bit of fangirling too, which I thought was really, really funny. If you've seen the trailer, you know exactly what I'm talking about. September the 30th, Marvel Rising Secret Warriors on Disney XD is going to be on at 10 p.m. And I'm looking forward to seeing... I mean, we got to see some shorts not too long ago, the initiation shorts that were out. But I'm looking forward to see what they can do once you put everything together in an actual movie itself. And see how things are presented. Because I, this is an initiative I've been looking forward to a lot. And maybe we'll be talking a little bit more about that on a future show. Consider that a little bit of a tease. Finally, speaking of a tease, we certainly got that for the Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. Also coming from networks Now, the f- Netflix, excuse me. This was visually stunning to me. The entire trailer. I was so locked in. By how good this looked, and this is definitely not the Melissa Joan Hart Sabrina that you remember from TV. No, no, no. It definitely brings the creepy and supernatural feel that the comics did. Now we really don't get any dialogue, but we got we get a lot of looks at some creepy, creepy stuff and some magical stuff going on. The trailer really does set the tone for a much darker. And magical magical world. I wouldn't go as far as to call it horror, though. I did get chills just from how amazing everything looked, and and to me the surroundings kind of seemed like a bit of a blur, and it you almost felt off center. And and as somebody who has vertigo, kind of vertigo esque right? You know where where the trailer didn't really allow you to feel centered. You just felt a little off, and to, and that is a compliment. By the way, I want to feel creeped down like I'm not sure which way is up. I think that that is a very, very good tone to set early on. And we get to see a little bit of, you know, little Easter eggs here and there. But again, this was also a, here's how we're presenting the series. Here's how it's going to look. Here's how it's going to feel. We'll give you something more in the next one. And we won't have that much longer to wait either because it's going to be premiering on October the 26th. On Netflix the final thing that I want to talk about is another thing that fans are complaining about first of all that hasn't even happened yet but the rumors that because it has not been confirmed again as of me recording this show this has not been confirmed that the Venom movie is going to be rated PG-13 and you know for anybody that wants to know runtime of an hour and 52 minutes that's what the report is now people like act like you can't tell a good Dark Story with that rating. Did, did you do did you forget that Dark Knight was also PG-13 and had maybe the best Joker ever and didn't really lose much if any of that edge the Joker brings? If there is a villain that is more terrible and more frightening and more just twisted than the Joker, please point them out to me because that is about as twisted and as dark as you can get. And again, PG-13, he drove a pencil through a man's skull. Okay? I think we're good here with PG-13. It's not that terrible. Plus, Venom is already in anti-hero mode for this movie, it looks like. And that's pretty much how it's been presented. R- presented. We're not talking about the brutal Venom that wants to rip Spider-Man to shreds. He's an anti-hero. He's playing hero here. Albeit on the more brutal killing side of Hero, but still a Hero nonetheless. Now, if your argument is Carnage, if Carnage were in this movie, I would probably be upset because I don't think you can have Carnage in a movie that is PG-13. So I will agree with you there. I think that you've got two brutal symbiotes battling it out. You cannot, especially Carnage, who is about as mean and nasty as it gets, you can't do that. In PG-13, and I know the rumor is they're, they're hoping for a s- crossover with Tom Holland's Spider-Man at some point. I think that would be a stupid reason to do PG-13 just because of that. I'm not sure that's the real reason because I still think you could walk back an R rating and still do a crossover at some point. I don't see any problem with that. But again, my argument to the whole this whole thing is, and again, something that's not even completely 100% decided yet is... What are we really losing by having this movie be PG-13? What do you need to see that you're not going to be able to see with a PG-13 movie? Do you need to see somebody get ripped in half or or chopped in half or somebody's head bitten off or something and blood spewing everywhere? What are you missing? What are you not getting from a PG-13 movie? representation. Now, I know maybe you're going to walk back on me and say, "Well, what about Punisher? What about Logan? What about Deadpool?" I know we've fallen in love with the rated M shows. We've fallen in love with the rated R superhero movie, right? Would Logan been any less good at PG-13? Think about that for a second. You're allowed to drop a lot of F-bombs that you wouldn't be able to drop PG 13. Okay, but again, if he wasn't dropping them, would the movie have been terrible? If we didn't get to see him again ripping people's guts out, would that have made the movie any less great? I'm gonna say no. Maybe you think I'm wrong, but I'm gonna go ahead and say no on that. You d- and Deadpool was R for a completely different reason, and you know it. And- You have to, there are certain characters you absolutely have to make rated R. And if this was the villain Venom, fresh villain Venom, maybe I agree with you. This is anti-hero Venom, whether you like it or not. That's what we're being given. That's what's being presented. And this has never been billed as a horror film like New Mutants has been billed. They're saying it's a horror movie. So maybe that one has to be rated R because of what they want to do. This is an anti-hero movie with a guy that has an agenda in Eddie Brock. This is not a brutal villain movie, so we need to get off of the fact that this needs to be rated R and give the thing a chance to be good at PG-13, which, oh, by the way, has been done by many superhero movies in the past, no matter how you spin it. That's going to do it for nerd news this week. Up next, let's talk about season two of The Gifted and take you back to San Diego Comic-Con at the same time. Members of the cast from The Gifted up next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast.
4: Hey, this is Blair Redford from The Gifted, and you are listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast.
0: Our coverage of the 2018 fall TV season continues this week, and one of our most talked about shows from last season had to be The Gifted on Fox. I mean, from start to finish, I thought it was one of the best seasons out of any show of the internet. It seems like forever since that whole fallout with what happened with the Mutant Underground. So we got to dive right in with that at San Diego Comic-Con 2018. First got to talk to Skylar Samuels, who plays Esme, of course, and Emma Dumont, who's Lorna and Polaris on the show. The first question that came out was to Emma and asking her did she kind of enjoy basically becoming magneto on the show because that's kind of what happened are you kidding do i enjoy being new royalty (laughs) i love it i mean she is her father's daughter a hundred percent no matter how much she despises it you know and she's pregnant she's having a baby she's
1: about to become a parent magneto kind of got around so he has had you know a few kids um the twins anya rest in peace um and polaris and uh you know, so she's kind of sort of going to be in that position that he was in many years ago, and he had to, you know, weigh the opportunity cost of saving the world or having a family. And, and you know, the resentment she feels to her, towards her father may sort of go away when she realizes that she might have to make a similar sacrifice.
0: The next question was to Skylar, and basically it was, hey, what's coming up for the triplets this season?
1: This season we get to see the Frost triplets sisters. The number of them is up in the air. You know, there's three so far, but like the comics, there's Frost. Also- over the place. I like to say we're like cockroaches stomp on one and more come from running. And they do begin to emotionally and physically differentiate from each other. Uh, luckily I've got two amazing girls, Amber and Rebecca, who dress up with me and help me take turns reading lines. Um, but it's Sometimes it's confusing. I'm like, which sister is this? Who is that? Who is this? Um, no, she's lying. She's such a pro. It's amazing seeing her. It's like a highly choreographed art. She, it's a bit of I a dance. The it's triple perfect. dance is a real thing, but it's been a lot of fun. And who knows? I can't wait to just tuck on a few more sisters. So let's go. <laughs> Next up, a
0: chance to talk to Natalie allen Lind, who plays Lauren Strucker, and Stephen Moyer, who plays Reed Strucker. And my question to them was, what is the dynamic like for the Strucker family heading into season two? Speaking of emotion, What's the dynamic for the family like and that emotion? That as we start season two, um, do you want to do this? Good. <laughs> uh, uh, he he. Uh,
2: he's. Um, we've been separated from Andy. Andy's on. Uh, has you know chosen this path. Um, we're sort of fighting with the idea that perhaps he was made to do it, that he was forced to do it, um, and some of us might think that he wasn't and that it was a chosen path and and other family members might think otherwise. And so that the conflict is between who we now are as a family, what we represent as a family. But he is only 15. So there is a kind of we have to go on the run and look for him. Obviously Polaris is on the run as well. So the mutant underground are searching and using our their powers to try and find where where they are and we've sort of centered it down to one city which is where we're trying to sort of work out what their next big plans are
0: next up Natalie was asked right after that does she think that the bomb between her and her brother is able to be repaired
2: when you go back last season, you figure out that we are descendants of the Von Strucker twins, which is something that last year at Comic-Con was literally, like, in my notes, do not say. Um, (laughs) So now you guys know. Um, I mean, if if you read the comics, you know that the Von Struckers are very bad people, and they have this darkness that they were born with, and I think that that's something that both of us have inside of us, and I think that Andy wants to embrace it. I think that Lauren wants to go down a different path, but I think that what's cool about this season is that you look at the different groups, last season you had like this feeling towards the hellfire group that they were just bad, but that's not necessarily true, we just all have different views. Um, I, but I also think that families have a very big bond, and I think that she's always going to love her brother, not necessarily agree with her him, and who knows, maybe slowly start to agree with him this season when she starts unlocking her darkness.
0: (laughs) Probably the question was kind of asked to both of them what is something that you really like about this upcoming season so far? I
2: think what we're doing this year, which I really like, is focusing in on one story and tell. It, and there'll be satellites coming around that storyline, but it may be your story that then filters into your story because you go over there, and so feeling like we don't have to tell all the stories all the time, which a lot of shows in, I've been in a couple, you know, get to the point where where we have so many people to honor that you know so that might mean that, that that we get to focus in on story then lift up and go back over here and be objective and and i i personally as a viewer find it less Phonetic. So I'm really excited about that.
0: Finally got to talk to the guy, Sean Teal, who plays Marcos in Eclipse on the show, and of course Blair Redford, who's John Proudstar. The first question for the guys was, hey, will we get more flashbacks to your character's backstories this season?
4: I would love to do a specific uh, flashback to his military, and that's always an option. Uh, it is. The cool fun. thing with our new season is we, we stick with the flashbacks in every episode. I love that that's what we start out with. So I do have a really cool one. It's not military-related, but it's a side of Thunderbird's past that no one really knows about, no oh, one's man. seen. Um, and honestly it's probably one of the coolest Thunderbird scenes. hot and <laughs> shot. <It's laughs> sweated. Maybe not what you think. <laughs> let's just say
3: let's just say if it was me doing it it would not be
4: as interesting. Okay, <laughs> But, yeah, and that's what's great about, I mean, and then I think even the next episode, he has. He has I have a so, in Columbia back oh, in
3: Columbia. Those right. are some
4: of my favorite things. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You get to learn so much about the characters from from these first little clips of yeah. each episode. You know?
0: yeah. The next question kind of led to a funny and interesting answer, actually, and it was that, do they ever feel ridiculous shooting scenes while they're using their powers on the show?
3: I think, I think really the thing that matters the most is to remove that shame because the, the real shame would be if you got nervous or uncomfortable and you didn't say, it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, because then, when you watch it back, you go, "That guy's not selling it." Yeah, at you got to dive in. And you you honestly stuff. have to go full throttle, and then the final result is so much, so much better. So it is, it is a, a, a bit of pain. But actually, you know what? I, I'm quite fortunate in the sense that. <laughs> In the sense that I'm amazing at it. No. <laughs> yeah. In the are, sense that I have. The, I'm quite fortunate that I'm really good. <laughs> uh, no, that I, I have light pucks that they attach oh, to my oh, arms or whatever. So, oh, so, so back there back is, back. there is, there is some practicality. Yeah, he's not actually ripping real doors off.
4: Well, <laughs> well you know, oh, just just that stuff today. is I all, These are I trained even This is CGI, right now. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Um, no, it's, uh, but um, but uh, it's uh, we have these light packs. So I have batteries and welding machines stuck to me all the time, so that does help. A lot of the reason why is plastic. It's not really for me. It's more. It's more when it comes to my powers with light. You can't really CGI. You can't. You can't improve on what real light would do when it refracts off things and everything else. The first episode when I get shot in the pilot, and there's a squib. There's a light bulb in my squib, and my blood's pouring out, and he's dragging me back into the car his face is so beautifully lit up by my wound hitting. Yeah, it was cool you yeah. Not you even could've, an could've, intended shot you know, just No, but kind of that, that that's the like genius that. of Brian Singer Not <laughs> even
4: intentional <laughs>
3: <laughs> uh, <laughs> No, he knew, he knew, him and Tom Singer knew what they were hitting, But right. it just changed entirely that, that, oh. that scene so, uh, so when it comes to the practical stuff yes, it's a bit silly but they give us as much as we can have
0: Finally, I had to ask, after everything that happened with the Mutant Underground, how are the guys holding the group together this season? I feel like you guys are always trying to hold the group together throughout even the whole first season. So we're not on that the second
4: season? Yeah, um, yeah well, I mean, that's, that's the goal coming into the second season. They've, they've been fractured, uh, the, you know, not only the family, but the, the larger family of that branch of the Mutant yeah. Underground. So you find them, six-month time jump. They've tracked them down so far as Washington, D.C. So you're in a whole new location, six months has gone quite by. quite a
3: grueling one, a long, a a a tough everybody, journey. Everybody, well, yeah. they're, they're constantly on the run. They're constantly using all previous underground stations, whichever ones are still clinging on, to either source information and provide their services. Caitlin's still doing medical and Steve uh, Reed is uh, uh forging passport <laughs> with a lawyer mm-hmm. but no so what the district attorney is it's making not. fake passports oh, breaking <laughs> several
0: laws.
3: so we, 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 we yeah and, and by doing that we're also going on our sort of master quest which is to try and get andy <clears throat> and liner back from this
0: you know i've said it before and i'll say it again it seems like the gifted on fox is going to be all out war for season two on th- to a couple of different fronts though you've not only got the mutant underground now you have got the inner circle to deal with but then you've also got Sentinel Services. I mean, it just seems like they're kind of all lost in the shuffle here after everything that happened in last season. But you're still very much going to be dealing with them as well. So it's it's on the run from a couple of different groups and then some are on the attack. It's just going to be a wild ride and I cannot wait to see what's coming season two of The Gifted on Fox, which premieres on Tuesday, September the 25th. So moving from Monday to Tuesday, I think that's going to be amazing. And, man, I can't think of one single thing that I was disappointed in the show last season. I can't wait to see where it picks up this season. That's going to do it for this week's edition of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Again, thanks so much to the folks at Fox and with The Gifted for joining me at San Diego Comic-Con 2018. And hey, you want to find out more about our show, go to downandnerdypodcast.com. You can find our past interviews from The Gifted on there as well. And don't forget, follow us on social media, facebook.com slash downandnerdy, at downandnerdy757 on Twitter and on Instagram as well. Remember, you never have to apologize for being a nerd. So let your fan flag fly and be good to your fellow nerds.